But everything a company does, an employer does with their people, their processes and their technologies totally impact the perception of fairness and sentiment, positive and negative alike of what that experience is like. Right. So it's important that you get all that stuff right, whether the candidates really care or not. Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Leveling Up is made possible by Marlowe. Marlowe enables you to support your managers and emerging leaders with twice monthly sessions led by Marlowe's expert management development coaches. Partnering with their coaches, Marlowe members focus on the skills that matter most to them. Skills like communication, time management, people management, strategic awareness, and more. Support your managers and emerging leaders wherever they are in their journey with Marlowe's one-to-one coaching and training. Head to getmarlowe.com for more information. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is with Kevin Grossman, the president of Talent Board. Talent Board was first started in 2011, and it's a nonprofit research organization that's focused on the elevation and promotion of a quality candidate experience. So they bring together benchmarks that highlight accountability, fairness, and business impact around the world. I brought Kevin on because his deep background in talent acquisition is really interesting. And this subject of how do we create a great candidate experience is something that I think is relevant to every hiring manager today. I hope you really enjoy this episode. We had a lot of fun recording it. First, I wanted to start with having you introduce yourself to our our listeners and what it is you do at Talent Board. Sure. So uh, thanks for having me on very much. Um, Name is Kevin Grossman, again, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. We have been doing benchmark research with companies big and small across industries around their candidate experience for over 10 years. And we've worked with over 1,200 companies, have surveyed over 1.25 million candidates today. And we're a small research organization does a lot of big work, but we really help companies understand the strengths and weaknesses in their recruiting process per the candidate's experience from pre-application up to onboarding. And then we release that data and information in reports, lots of content, webinars, workshops. I present it all the time, all the way through the year. And we release all that for the industry to consume. How did you get into this? So I was involved early on. I'm not one of the co-founders of the organization, but what happened was I've always been mostly in, in the past 23 years of being in the HR recruiting space. It's been mostly on the technology side. So on the vendor solution provider side and uh, gosh, way back when Talentware was first founded, um, it was very volunteer driven. So they were, they, they were asking for individuals in the space and um, different capacities, some practitioners, some influencers, some people who work for vendors like I did, I was ran product marketing for some companies for a while and, and in the recruitment space anyway, th- um, to help kind of, be a part of this early iteration of the research we were doing and to review the data and write up the different pieces of the data. And, um, and so I was involved early on. And then just a few years after that, uh, they, 
realize that, you know, this program has legs. There's more companies that would like to benchmark their candidate experience. We need somebody to help because they all had their own firms they were running, the founders. And so I came on board and it's been over now seven years and plus and counting and, and um, have never left. So it's I, our, our mission of helping companies to elevate and promote a quality candidate experience we're very passionate about. And we're going to get completely into it because, of course, there are the buzzwords of great resignation and, you know, yes. the, the shift in people moving to new organizations. But it's bigger than that, right? Um, you know, right now we're seeing the whole world transition in very, whether it's COVID or other geopolitical challenges, right? There's a lot going on and people are trying to figure out what matters to them. And so you're kind of front and center of what makes an organization successful as they retain their employees, but also how do they attract these new people to the organization? What are you seeing just high level trends right now, given everything that's going on? Like, is there anything that you've taken away that has surprised you or might surprise our listeners? Well, I can tell you what surprised us early on in the pandemic. But before, before I do that, just one quick caveat. The, the, the thing to think about with candidate experience for not for external candidates, because that's what we talk about a lot for people that are outside, but also for current employees who are looking to other opportunities internally that they may want to move to, or what's my career path development. And everybody's a perpetual candidate all the time period. Even if you're happily and gainfully employed, um, we're all, but there's always a potential passive active. It doesn't matter what you label it. And candidates only care about job candidates only care about one thing that is getting the job. They don't care about anything else. They don't care about the people that you that are running your recruitment. They don't care about your processes. They don't care about the tech stack unless they're in the HR recruiting space, right? Tech space. That's an exception, but they don't care about any of that. They only care about getting hired and most for any given job won't. That's just, that's just running the numbers. It's just, they're not going to, they're not, they're not going to get the job, but everything a company does an employer does with their people, their processes and their technologies totally impact the perception of fairness and sentiment, positive and negative alike of, of what that experience is like. Right. So it's important that you get all that stuff right, whether the candidates really care or not, because ultimately it does impact if they decide to again, apply and try again in the future, refer others. What we found early on in the pandemic is that suddenly, you know, the world, as we all remember, painfully dramatically changed. And we suddenly were in this lockdown and we couldn't have in-person interviews anymore. We couldn't onboard people in, in person. I mean, even with companies that had remote hiring going on, it was still a fraction of what even what it is now still. So employers were put into this kind of space of like, we have to be more transparent about what's happening because it's just crazy town. We have to, we can't, we may have to furlough and lay off people and which happened later on in that first year. They stopped hiring, uh, you know, candidates, even start dates were pushed out. And some, you know, some jobs were even were taken away. And so we, what do we have to keep telling our candidates? This is what we're trying to do to keep things moving and the business alive. What do we tell our employees about what we're doing and keep the business alive? So, and candidates in that first year, 
because there were a lot of people that that lost their jobs um, were more forgiving of the process. So what we found that was that we weren't expecting was that what we call the resentment rate. So there's always in our data every year, there's a percentage of candidates who say, I'm never going to do anything with you again, the employer, like you suck. I don't want to ever apply again, refer others that decreased dramatically in that, in that year, because of those things that I'm highlighting and, and, but then it changed again in 2021 when resentment started, especially in North America, resentment started to, to climb back again to pre-COVID levels of, and so, and that some of that em- empathetic communication that was consistent started to trail off again, the big picture. So that's what we found. Um, and the, the candidates, especially in North America, a little bit in EMEA, but not in APAC and Latin America, because they, there's about those regions, there's countries in those regions of Latin America and APAC that, candidates are not as comfortable sharing negative feedback. It's just a, it's a cultural thing. They want, what, they don't, what's the reason for it? They are not, they're uncomfortable sharing negative feedback. It's, it has to, I don't like feeling like I, I don't want it to have any repercussions on me. If I'm saying, even if it's anonymous, something negative about a company that I was trying to work for in North America, particularly the United States of America, we are the most vocal, angriest candidates in the world. And I say that kind of deadpan with a little humor in my eye, but it's very true. We're the, it's very true in North America. But that's what we saw come out. We'll see what, right now we're collecting data for this year in 2022. So we don't we won't have the benchmarks for a few months, but we'll see where that goes. Um, but that's what we saw that was gained and what was lost again. This is fascinating. I have so many questions. Ask. <laughs> um, you, you said earlier that candidates only care about getting the job, and I know you were simplifying it as they don't really I need am. to know your details. But I am curious about the candidates who should get the job, right? The company wants to hire them, but because they messed up the candidate experience so badly, in the end, the candidate gets lost. Do you track what percentage of candidates um, kind of pass on a job offer because of the candidate experience? Not, not, a, we, we do. I don't have, I, I don't have that, some of that data handy. We have, there, there are candidates, if I could ask, if we could ask hundreds of questions of the candidates, we would, and then we would never get a survey answered. So we do ask, though, about if they decline offers. And that was a little bit on the increase. I don't have the exact data point for you ready right now, but I do know that was on the increase again, again, from year one to year two of the impact. Right. And candidate ghosting is higher than it's ever been. And I, you know, I would recommend to any candidate out there. I mean, I get that we've all been in this existential crisis to try to figure out what we want, what we really want to do and be. And, but I would never recommend a candidate to ghost because at some point the market will not be a candidate market anymore and and it will swing back again. And, you know, I, uh, employers will hold most of the cards again at some point when that might not change for a while, but we do have decline offers, but not, um, and withdraw, and here's here's something that relates to what you're asking me. So we do ask candidates if uh, different stage-based questions, right? And obviously, most uh, we would argue because we see it in our data, fifty to sixty percent of the candidates in our data researched and applied, and that was the end of the road. That was it. Most of them, you know, disposition, or they never hear back at that point. 
there's a much smaller tier that gets screened, assessed, interviewed, made offers to and hired. Then there's a percentage of those candidates who withdraw. And there's different reasons why they do that. And in our data, they tell us, you know, maybe they got a better offer somewhere else. And this is part of what we're seeing in, you know, in this rise in candidate ghosting too, right? Oh, I'm going to get more money over here or I'm going to stay at my employer because they're throwing more money at me. So there's positive reasons in a way for the candidates, but the most negative reason around the world, especially in North America, is because they say their time was disrespected during interviews and appointments. That's why they withdrew. That's literally the answer that, especially in North America, is top of mind when we ask them why they withdrew. Communication um, dysfunction is another one, too. Uh, and then and then disparity in salary and benefits, which makes sense. But it's that it's that disruption during screening, interviewing appointments, you know, even imagine like right now, you and I, we are talking to each other and we're looking at each other, but I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my camera. If I looked at you in the eyes, I'm looking down here, right? So it's not like being in person. So that's distracting. And, and that's why we, there's, we've had this real thing of Zoom fatigue, right? Because we're like, it sucks. I don't, and I'm, by the way, I'm done looking at myself on video, <laughs> right? All the time. So you combine that with like hiring managers that are on their phones with, during the interview. I mean, the list goes on, but that disrespect, that disruption is... Um, a big reason why candidates withdraw, according to our data um, in later stages. And I think that's that's definitely important to know because it's prepping candidates for the interview process, guiding them throughout, being consistent, having a structured process, same questions, not a lot of divergence. And then, then a, that expectation setting after and follow up and, and closure, if you're not going to pursue them, are so key. How does your research connect to outbound versus inbound candidate experience? Is it when does the survey come to them? So it comes to them after they've already applied for a job. So in our in our data, the employers who participate in the benchmark data target a population of candidates that had applied for a job within the past zero to six months. And it's a mix of people. Again, um, they can target even more granularly, but usually it's a mix of people who have applied, some who actually got screened and interviewed, some who, you know, smaller percentage who got offers, just like the real world, and a small, much smaller handful that got hired. So it's those people who are being surveyed, but it comes, it's coming to them post that event. Now, some of them could still be in process when they answered the survey, and that's, we can see that in their, in their answers. Um, but most of them are people who never either got rejected or never heard back. And then a smaller percentage are those who did get hired. And that's where companies are the most to date in our experience have been the most comfortable asking for feedback have been from new hires, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's great. That's valuable information, but those people got hired. So there's a halo effect usually associated with even if their experience wasn't that great. The key and why why we do what we do and recommend companies is you need to ask your rejected candidates. Because even we find that the best experience that they may have had, you were consistent with your communication, your expectation setting, your transparency, 
and they make it here, they make it there. They, and then you tell them, um, you know, thank you. We're, we're just not going to pursue you at this time. It always skews negative at that point because nobody wants to be told no. But what we find, but they still would, could, they still rate the company higher than if it was a truly horrible experience at the end of the day. And that's, that's, the, that's the potential business impact over time by the sheer volume of people you're not hiring. It's so interesting too, because those candidates that you're not hiring because they were not the top pick, right? Maybe right. they were even second or third or fourth, right? They were still great candidates. Yeah. Um, they have friends. They have people that, you know, might be a good fit for another role in your company. There are all sorts of reasons to keep that, that relationship respectful and positive. But I know that a lot of companies, especially smaller businesses with, you know, fewer recruiters, less staff, they don't, they just never get back to the candidates at all. Right. So, uh, does that get captured in your, in your feedback as well? Yeah. I mean, there's, is, there is about, about 35-ish percent of the candidates in our data um, say that they had not heard, still had not heard back from the employer after two months of applying. Uh, two months applying. That's applying really high number. Oh, it's it's insane. Now, now, in defense of, of, of employers a little bit too, email deliverability gets harder every year. And with spam filters and compliance and GDPR, and I mean, it, it's a little, it's there, there could be, there, there could be a growing percentage of candidates who are getting those automated emails and just never seeing them. But that said, it's still a big percentage of folks who are just, they're just not hearing back. And we, I've had conversations with companies that have made the, the decision that they're not even going to send automated messages because they feel that's more detrimental than anything. And, and we were like, no, what's more detrimental than anything is that you're just not replying. I mean, yes. candidates want to talk to you and they want to hear why they're not being selected. Companies won't do that. I mean, unless it's a small hiring volume, they're not going to do it at the point of application because there's just too many people that are applying who aren't qualified. And they have to be told what they should be told shortly thereafter, not immediately, but within one to two weeks, sorry, we're going to not going to pursue you. Um, but they, they have to be told though, closure is key and telling somebody nine months later, because that, because you're, you're, you have a culture where you're holding on to all the applications until you find somebody that you want. And then you tell them all or reposting the job after or that's another converse one, reposting the job after you've told people you're not going to pursue them. I mean, but the, the key here, though, is consistent communication. You're not going to give feedback to people who apply, but we recommend you give feedback to people who are finalists. It's still one of those liability questions that we could get into, but I do want to take it. A- <laughs> right, and I would, I, right. And I'll make the argument that with companies that in, in our data and research, who have some of the highest ratings every year that, that do give feedback, there's no there's no litigious issues at all. No. And I love the idea of the smaller the company, I think the more you can give feedback in a lot of ways, right? Because you know exactly what you're looking for. I've been in companies where the, the expectation is that's all the feedback I can give you. We've decided to go with the most, you know, it's so bad. You want to give so much more information. It is. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. And a lot of times it's, it's even if it's something, it's just something really brief and immediate, but it does go a long way because the the positive sentiment spikes big time when there's some feedback given always about job fit and qualification, but positive sentiment goes way up. Give those people information. 
Okay. So, so we came together today because you mentioned something around the, the amount of information that happens between the time a candidate has been given an offer letter and actually joins, you said something in our, our call before that was really fascinating to me, which is that most people get no interaction from their hiring manager from the moment they get that offer letter to when they, when they actually start at the organization. And am I, am I taking you out of context or is that about the sum of it? The highest rated companies in our research. So, so those who have above average candidate experience ratings, more positive ratings, they are definitively and consistently giving offer letters to those who the, the, based on the final interview within one week. Those who have lower scores overall, that time begins to like go like this, meaning last interview and give, give the offer letter if that comes a month later or two months later. I mean, some people may want to wait because they want that job, right? They want to work at that company. I mean, I know there's exceptions to the rule, but time time is always a, 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 deg- a degrading factor in candidate experience. It always is. The more time that goes by, but those who are timely between final interview and offer and then offer and start date are the ones who have much higher positive uh, uh, candidate experience ratings. And what we had talked about before, it's a better way to set retention expectations before even day one. That's what's huge about the time frame and and the, also the more engagement that happens, not just getting the paperwork out of the way, introducing me to even if it's virtual, which a lot of it is a lot of the time it has been for the past two years, with the exception, of course, of people who have always had to be on site in the plant, in the store. That's a different group. But introducing people to their colleagues, their peers, their boss, I mean, less than 40 percent of the candidates um, almost every year tell us that they're hearing from their hiring manager before day one, less than 40%. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's because hiring, it's just this idea of until your day, your day one, what, what, what is the value of me talking to you, right? Once you start, we'll start working together in training. But what we find is that the more when expectations are set about what my first few weeks will look like, when I have opportunity to talk to you about what my job is going to entail, meeting other team members, I just think it's it's the clock doesn't start until day one mindset. Is there a question of respect around, I, oh, I don't want to bother this new candidate who needs to wrap up their other position and, you know. I mean, I'm they- sure, sure, yes. So there are, there definitely are exceptions. I mean, I'm getting, I, I always paint broad strokes, right? When we're talking about this stuff, but yes, there's going to be those situations to where somebody is, you know, writing, you know, finishing their, their time and they don't want to bug them because they're wrapping up their other job. I'm, I'm sure that there was all those experiences, but I mean, to have just one touch base even, right, would, could be valuable to helping somebody before they get started. I mean, I remember reading something a long time ago. It could have been in Harvard Business Review or something of, or around that. The Unfortunately, the sheer volume, especially in large, complex corporate America and global organizations, you know, um, that it, it was to the practice of, hiring you, even if my candidate experience was good and then parachuting you into the jungle and then you figure it out. I mean, there was the, when I started, uh, I won't name the name, but I started at a software company before I started running this organization. Um, I, and I was a remote employee 
but I was on, on site to start and um, nothing was ready for me on day one. No computer. Uh, a few meetings, you know, maybe with team members and, and a boss and just a lot of twiddling my thumbs on day one. We've, and, and companies that understand it and get it. And um, that's, they're, they're, that's ex- extremely important for new hires to, to have that kind of structured in, in engagement prior to day one, because we, we know again in our data that then when that does happen, there's a much higher level of positive sentiment out of the gate before I even start. The more stuff that happens, it's just not paperwork driven before day one. The more engagement I get, immersing me in culture, introducing me to teammates, talking to my manager. Um, maybe there's, you know, now that we're, some people are going back in the office, maybe there's off sites that happen even before I start. I mean, it can all really help solidify me, the retention out of the gate. As long as the consistency continues as an employee, too, that, it, that, that's the thing that makes a difference because it could be it's a great engagement experience. And then my first month is hell. But that's all. You know, that, that's not what we're measuring anyway. That's people right. who are measuring employee experience. But um, but that is that's what we see in our data. It's a, it really is a much higher level of positive sentiment when those things are happening. The engagement's happening before I start. It's a really interesting subject. When you, know, you talk about this entire employee life cycle, yeah. when you're going through that interview process, you know, even before the job is posted, the hiring manager is really excited to get this role filled, right? They, they probably have a backfill. They're trying to get somebody in this position. So they are highly motivated to make sure somebody wants to join the company and they want to find the best person possible. Rose colored glasses, right? Yeah. Starting to see. Meanwhile, you have a candidate who wants a job. Yep. And so that interview process is inherently bias toward two people who are looking for a reason to work together as long as there's a general fit already. Um, and so it, what I, I'm, I'm also kind of broad strokes generalizing here, but the, the takeaway that we saw and we're still seeing is when you come in, you kind of come into this honeymoon period, expecting a role that's maybe different, right? That they sold to you, oh, you sold sure. to them and now mm-hmm. you're, and so that prep time before you get onboarded. And then that first like two to three weeks of onboarding is such a great opportunity to level set and say like, okay, like let's, let's figure each other out and make sure that we really did sign up for the same thing. And often it gets completely neglected. And before you know it, you're three months in, you know, wondering if you're up for the job or conversely wondering what you got yourself into. How often do you find that low sentiment of candidate experience for a company also equates to high turnover of employees down the road? I don't have that data because we're we're not directly measuring that. But but I would argue that the the internal candidate experience, i.e., being an employee, especially if I'm in the process of I if I want to do something else inside the organization, does tend to skew a little bit higher when positively meaning in our data, because we do have most of the data is actually external, but there is uh, 15-20% that is um, internal candidates, employees that are answering the survey, and their their positive ratings tend to be a little bit higher than the external candidates, which technically it should be because you want to be fair to all candidates, but you also want to make sure that you're definitely nurturing your employees and to keep them. But we don't, so we don't have that particular data, but I mean, so there's, there's an argument. I mean, remember a few years ago, everybody was 
talking smack about all of the, the news about how toxic Amazon was to work at, right? Just, oh, it's a horrible company. They chew you up, they spit you out. And yet there's a lot of people who want to work at Amazon, right? I mean, and the for a lot of variety of different reasons, I mean, I think that there are people who will self-select out based on having a poor experience or hearing about a poor experience from colleagues and friends. And there are those who still say, I want to work there. I'm going to do it. And, um, but definitely, but, you know, just be, having a low poor, poor candidate experience, I would argue, and again, I don't have the data to connect the dots in our data, but that it is definitely impacts retention. Because usually what happens is that that companies that are really poor with communication and feedback loops during the recruiting and hiring process, I would argue probably aren't very good once I'm on board <laughs> either. That may not be the case always, but again, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not something I can definitively quote on because I don't, we don't measure that beyond day one. So that's fair. Yeah. No, that's a fair question. I, I, you know, the, you said earlier, the faster the company moves, the more likely they are to have positive sentiment. So if they move quickly from, you know, the final interview to the offer letter to the start date, right. it seems like a really strategic way. If you can't compete as a company on salaries alone, you can Correct. sure as hell compete on speed. Well, speed and also, you know, everything now, right, that let a lot of candidates who have the ability to, to be flexible in where they work and how they work and when they work and companies that are looking for those individuals speed is, is a big thing, but flexibility is, is, is very much a, a big draw right now. Um, um, and, you know, they're speaking again of the Amazons and the apples and the Facebooks. I mean, when the, when, you know, in the past, I don't know, a few months, six months, when base salaries for like developers go from 180 to 350. Smaller companies, you know, smaller companies trying to hire those same people can, there's no way they can compete on the payroll for that. It's just not. So you've got to get creative, right? About what else is going to be a benefit, why you want to work for us. This is why. This is why a lot of, there's a lot of money that goes into employer branding and it's, and it's great. I mean, you need, you want to make sure that you're marketing your company and your jobs, just like you would market your products and services in the best light overall, but it will, that, that level of investment will never negate poor experiences if they continue to be replicated over and over and over again, because at some point the, I mean, a candidates tell us every year, they're talking to their inner circle of people about their experiences, good and bad. They're, they're sharing it on the line publicly. They're posting reviews in Glassdoor. Um, that stuff gets out there. That's the, the candidates will find it and see it. And they'll ask their colleagues and their, their friends, um, and it's a ripple effect because, like I said, not everybody's going to choose to not uh, try to apply it somewhere because they hear it's bad. But there, um, there could be, you know, uh, the example that I like to always use in the past, Lockheed Martin, who has won many awards in our Candidate Experience Awards, too. So they've always had above average ratings. And not every company gets it right all the time. But let's just hypothetically speaking, if, let's say I'm, there's, there's, I'm an engineer and I applied to Lockheed Martin and it was crummy experience. Horrible. I am not going to not buy military equipment because I didn't get hired because B2B, it doesn't work that way. Right. But I can go tell my other two, two engineering friends over here 
about the experience and maybe one of them says, I'm going to pass. It's just that it's that potential ripple effect, which does happen out there when things that I've shared where candidates can choose not to do that. And you know, referrals are critical because companies depend on them, right? And retention is critical because companies are, you know, have been looking internally more in the past two years to hire within and more than they've ever had before. And companies that don't understand all those interrelated connections, points of uh, experientially of how it impacts perception of fairness and whether I want to work somewhere or stay somewhere, if they don't understand those connections and and recruiting is just an order takers. Yeah, just get those people. I need them. They're losing right now. They were, they are losing the. I hate. I don't like using the war for talent. That's such a tired phrase. But it, especially when we have a real work going on. Well, no, that's what I mean. Right, yeah. that too. Especially that. But it's it's but it's it's disheartening because um, there was a. I just heard through somebody else that we do some work with that, you know, their, their boss, the AVP of TA was saying, um, uh, well, you know, we'll have to keep looking at the candidate experience and see if there's any true value there over time. And I'm like, what? I mean, it's, and, and I, I would love to have that direct conversation to explain the, the business impact and what we see. But I mean, I think those are the things and it's aggregate, right? Just think about the volume of people, any company of any hiring volume of the volume of people that you're not hiring and what their experience is and what they may or what they're willing to do again or not do with you. And now they are the people going around and becoming your brand ambassadors for better or for worse. That's exactly right. But yes. there's also the angle of, you know, you're a whatever senior product manager and some friends want to join the engineering team, but you're too embarrassed to refer them because you see the glass door reviews of how bad the interview process is or whatever. Sure. That's yeah, possible like, too. Yeah, exactly. And I know that a lot of companies think they're doing this, but I would challenge all of our listeners who tend to be more senior leaders in their organizations yeah. to really get down into the weeds and, and figure out like, do we follow up with our candidates and how exactly. quickly? Apply, have your team and even yourself because you apply for your own jobs. You actually go through the exercise of applying for the job and seeing what that's like and what happens next and the messages that you receive. I mean, I we always argue that, you know, whatever your tech stack is in recruit, recruiting technologies, whatever processes you have in place, you still control the dials of what is said to candidates when, with what frequency, with the words you're using. You you decide all of that still, even when it's automated. So, you know, automation is super critical in recruiting volume because you can't do it without it. You need to have it from sourcing to applying to screening, but you still control those communication dials. And that's the part, you know, so walk through your own processes and experience it as a candidate. Is this what you want your next hires to experience? Thinking of the secret shoppers of the nineties. Well, yeah. I know they I mean, still happen, exactly. but <laughs> in fact, we do, we do some of that. We do some, op, we do optimization projects where that's one of the many things that we do for the company um, is to go through that and give them feedback about that process. I mean, another thing that, you know, companies have been tagging on uh, assessments now after, so maybe the application only takes 10 minutes now, the, the initial one. Um, but then you give them a 45 minute assessment with no context and not a lot of a lot of a lot of instruction and no feedback after. That's a lot of extra time and stuff. 
that that they need a little bit more context for. Why am I taking this? You don't have to, you don't, you know, again, you don't have to give them a lot of feedback, but give them more context and understanding um, than just having them take something that they have no idea why. There's this push for companies to automate as much as they can to, you know, get as many qualified candidates into the pipeline, especially in bigger companies that are more retail spaces, right? They're trying to move quickly. Yeah. Where does, and stop me if you think this isn't relevant for, for what your, your team is working on, but where does the, the shift happen where like, you know, we're optimizing so much for efficiency that we just completely cannibalize our candidate experience. Like where is their balance for efficiency versus like, it has to be human to human because well, that 45 minute assignment kind of stops me in my tracks to think, wow, that's. It, it, yeah. And people that will abandon that too. Right. And there's also something to be said about having, you know, screening questions and knockout questions in the beginning. You do want, you do want some of the candidates to help you because you don't want to have a sure, you know, an increased volume of unqualified. So there's, I mean, I get all that, but I think that the it's it is the the fact that that you want the candidates again to have to under have understanding and context um, about the hoops that you're having them jump through. But what is the the backbone differentiator year after year in our research is com, is consistent communication for, that's automated on the front end because it's going to be a lot of automation, especially for high volume through human interaction. And remember that the people who are getting more human interaction are the ones who are actually getting screened and interviewed. That doesn't happen for everybody. The majority of people research and apply, and that's the end of the road, period. And so that's a very limited experience. And it's, it is an uphill battle for many employers, even when they do turn their dials and try to make adjustments and improve their communications, it's still automated. It's not a human. Um, but, the key thing, though, is still is to be clear. If somebody applies for a job and they're not qualified, tell them within one to two weeks. Do not don't hold on to them until you fill that job because they're not going to magically transform and be the right person. Now, you know, unfortunately, it is true that technology can help screen qualified people out, too which is something that the industry continues to work on, right, for automated matching that's going on and AI-related technologies but people get screened out, unfortunately, too, that could be qualified because but, but but humans aren't, you know, for, for large, complex organizations, they're not human. Humans aren't screening every resume. There's no way they could do it on their applications. But communication is still critical no matter what. Tell me what's happened. Acknowledge that, that I'm interested in your job. Communicate with me. Give me closure. Period. If and that you're, is still, you're still going to get negative sentiment because you're rejecting a lot more people. But I'm telling you, it still goes a long way when you're just super clear about it. Love it. We're about out of time here, but I wonder what are the resources that you recommend our talent acquisition leaders and talent development leaders uh, lean on with either within your website or well, you know, read elsewhere. our research for sure. Download yeah. our research, which is free to download and all the proven practices. There's case studies, uh, you know, because companies... Companies don't do everything right all the time, even the highest rated companies in our research, but they're doing a lot of things more often consistently over time that, you know, uh, shorter applications, expectation setting, structured interviews, timely um, offers after interview, all those things. Um, so I definitely download our research and read it and um, a little book plug. I, I've got a book book coming out 
about just this very stuff in early June uh, about the business impact of Canada experience and with a practitioner that I, I co-wrote it with. So we have, it's the combination of our research and everyday stuff that you need to do in recruiting and what the recommendations are and how to be more consistent over time. The hardest thing we see with companies every year, even if those, they may read our research, they may look at best press practices, proven practices, they may implement a couple of things to make some improvements and sustaining that over time. That's the hardest thing because there's always business impacts. Who plans for a pandemic? Right. Nobody did. We, we, we weren't ready for that impact. Who and but yet there could be leadership changes on your team. New CEO um, that changes dynamics. You could have recruiting changes on your team. Maybe you're part of merger or acquisition activity. All of these things that impact the business impacts recruiting and hiring. When it's a downturn, recruiting is the first to go. And when it's an upturn, it's the first to come back frenetically. And so it's hard to sustain quality candidate experience over time. It is. Where can our listeners find your book? Within the next month at thetalentboard.org. We'll make sure to update our show notes with that link as soon yeah. as it's ready. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing all of your perspective and insights. I know there's a lot of research our listeners can find. Thetalentboard.org. Yes. Links are in the show notes. Check it out. I appreciate you making the time to speak with me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.